And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. Verse 2 says, And had taken the women captives that were therein, they slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. Verse 3 tells us, So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taking captives and then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. Verse 6 says, And David was greatly distressed for the people, spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. And every man for his sons, for his daughters, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Elimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David, in verse 8, inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? He's asking the Lord this. And he, he says again, And shall I overtake them? And he answered, He, God, to David, said, Pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them without fail and recover all. So David went and the 600 men that were with him and came to the brook Besor, uh, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Besor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for who you are. We thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, help us to, to pull some truths out of this text this morning, Lord, that you've conveyed to me, Lord, and even more as you lead uh, here in the moment during the, during the sermon. Lord, be with each and every one of us. Open our hearts to you. Uh, open our hearts to the Holy Spirit this morning. And Lord, and we thank you. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ, Lord, and in his precious name do we pray. Amen. Amen. So here we are in, in 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel, rather, 1 Samuel chapter 30, uh, verses 1 through 10. I know I said 1 through 6 there in, in the beginning. Um, but first of all, it's good to be back. It is good to be behind this particular pulpit here and, and, and in front of you this morning. Uh, it is good to be worshiping in our church. Um, you know, and as I traveled, and I talked with a, a couple folks, and some folks were in tune with what's going on in the world, and some were just overwhelmed with maybe even some circumstances in their in their own lives that he couldn't even look up to see what was going on in the world. So I was reminded that we all have, we all have different lives that we live. And sometimes it's like we live from one stressful event to the next, right? Some, I mean, we, we go through those seasons like, well, wow, one thing right after another. For example, even in the world, we just spent, what, two years or so navigating through some far-reaching government regulations, some more, some less in some areas, brought on by a global pandemic, only to end, so to speak, hearing the news of a nearby invasion of one country into another. I remember watching the, the news in, in Ukraine there, and one of, those, uh, one of the people said that, you know, we were just happy that we got to take off our masks today, and then the next day, uh, war was in their country. You know, it's, it's one thing to hear that. It's another thing to live that. And this, the things that go on in this world have already impacted the entire globe. And it, it, has, it has striked fear into the hearts of many. Anxiety at, at a minimum in some. 
But on a similar note and a little less dramatic, a little closer to home, uh, we never seem to finish the things that we want to finish. I mean, we have our own agendas and uh, we, we want to accomplish certain things. There's a, there's a part in our living room, we've started off, I think, when we, when we first moved to this house, putting some molding on the on, on baseboards, rather. And uh, it's about, I, I would say, 50% done. My wife would probably say 20% done, but uh, we would probably disagree on the percentage. But either way, it's not finished. It's just, just finding the time to do those things. And those little things kind of add stress a little bit when they, when they start to build up. Uh, so we, we can never seem to finish the things we want to finish, and we barely sometimes get done the things that need to be finished in our life. These things, again, cause stress. Life can be stressful, right? We can all raise our hands, and we can remember some times of great stress. Maybe we are in some great stress right now. It can get stressful, life that is, if we let it, and not one of us are immune to it, and it can at sometimes be very overwhelming, Sometimes we really can't define or isolate our stressor, if you will, to one significant event. It's just a bunch of little things that we really don't know what they are. It's just, ah, we want to get angry. But then there are other times when it is one large obstacle. And we're faced with this mountain, with this Jericho, if you will. And it's a major battle. And we find ourselves really in the midst of the most powerful storms of our life. That one time, and we're like, how am I going to get through this? Whether it's the loss of a loved one, maybe a significant change in your health or the health of a loved one, or the entire rearrangement of your life, like some of these folks in the world are, are facing today, losing everything you've ever known. These are significant obstacles. Life is full of ups and downs. And this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about those ups and downs, those, those pressures and stressors of life. I think we get a good example of it here in the life of David, here in 1 Samuel, chapter 30. I mean, we see the picture. We, we, we just read it. You know, he's, we're going to go over this a little bit, but he just, in his mind, he just potentially lost all that he loved. And we'll go through the details here and kind of bring out the truth of that. But whatever we are facing this morning, no matter how trivial or how troublesome, as simple as that may be, the answer is Jesus Christ. The answer is God. Our hope, our trust, our faith, our all, all that we are must be in the Lord. In the Lord. In the Lord. At the end of verse 6 there in 1 Samuel chapter 30, the Bible states that David encouraged himself in the Lord. The words we just sang in that chorus truly apply there. And in the cross, it says, In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. We are in this to the end, if you will. And we must be in the Lord all the time. We are to trust in Him. All that we are must be in the Lord. Must be in the Lord. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. We are to be in the Lord. And as Christians... We really have been given all the tools to be in the Lord. We are to be in the Lord. Like David, if we're faced with many stressors that are self-induced, we're still supposed to be in the Lord. Sometimes it's hard. They're the, for, personally, they're the hardest stressors to overcome for me, the ones that I've caused myself. Like I've, I've um, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I get up in the morning and I'm driving to church, which I really don't drive that far now, but I'm driving to a certain meeting somewhere and I have to be there at, say, 10 o'clock in the morning and I have plenty of time and I make the wrong turn. Anybody been stationed at Fort Campbell? You don't have to raise your hand, but I used to live about 35 minutes away from base and I would take the interstate there in the morning. And there is this first exit into Fort, Fort uh, into, into Kentucky, rather, exit 86. You're supposed to take that exit and you go there and it's perfect. You miss that exit, it's like 11 miles for the next exit. You will, you will be late for work, there's no doubt about it. And when I miss that exit, it's my fault, that creates stress. You gotta pull over to the side of the road, call your boss, hey, I'm not gonna make it here on time. What happened? I missed the exit. <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? So those self-induced stress are, are really some of the hardest things to overcome. But whatever they are, we are to give them to the Lord. We are to give them to the Lord. Again, life has its problems, and many times those problems are self-induced, but give them to the Lord. That is the only answer. There, there are things that we carry that we don't have to carry. We just don't have to carry them. The answer is God. The answer is Jesus Christ. And David, I believe, gives us some insight on the best way to go about that. It's, so it's one thing to say God is the answer. It's another thing to say how God is that answer. And I think David gives us some good examples in how we are to go about keeping ourselves in the Lord. Now, make no mistake, David didn't always get it right. A quick search of his life. We see a couple mistakes in his life, maybe a handful. Uh, he didn't always get it right. But every now and then, we see God in David doing some very remarkable things, doing some great things through him. Even though David made many mistakes, he belonged to God. He knew that he was God's. He knew how to be in the Lord. Even though he failed, God said that David was a man after his heart, a man after God's heart. David experienced and knew how to seek true repentance. That's really the, that's really the secret of a victorious Christian life, repentance, repentance, true repentance. Repentance, not remorse. There's a difference. Remorse says, man, I feel bad about that, or I feel bad about I got caught. I got a speeding ticket. Man, I shouldn't have got a speeding ticket. Repentance is before God. It's truly a change in direction. I'm not going to get any more speeding tickets. That's repentance. David knew how to do this. He experienced, again, and knew how to seek true repentance. But speaking of him not getting it right, this chapter here, is the outcome of David not getting it right or David trying to play both sides of the, of the game here. Don't misunderstand. Again, David's response is something we can emulate. But before we get to that, I'm going to give you a kind of a bird's eye view on how we got into this situation and what this situation really is. So let me paint the big picture. Back in chapter 29 of 1 Samuel, let me even go back farther now. We know that David is the rightful king. Y'all remember Samuel going to uh, interview um, um, Jesse's children, and he chose David because God looks on the heart and not on the outside. Uh, a long time after that, uh, well, Dave, there's Goliath there. Uh, he, he defeated Goliath. There is the time when he played music before, uh, before Saul. There's a couple times when Saul threw a javelin at him. And so now he's kind of on the run. So we kind of got up to speed here. David is on the run from Saul, uh, who is trying to kill David because he's really threatened by him. And he is the next person to be the to be on the throne there. 
Everybody knew that David was the next guy. God chose him. David knew it. Saul knew it. The people knew it. And Saul wanted him dead. So he ran. And as he ran, he became a man of war. He fought against Israel's enemies, even though Israel was his enemy under King Saul. And he made himself a title of man of war. Y'all remember the thing where David has killed, or Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his ten thousands. And that title would eventually come back to haunt him later on. Uh, but for now, God gifted David very clearly with tactical leadership. David was a good soldier, and he was a good leader of soldiers. Now, he was, of course, Jewish. Remember, he was that Hebrew teenager that slew the lion, the bear, and even Goliath. And Goliath was a Philistine. And here in 1 Samuel 29, I know I'm just referencing that there, but if you were to read through that chapter, we see David aligned in battle with Achish. Achish is the, the lord of Gath. He's the, he's the king of Gath, if you will. Achish was a Philistine. So get this now. David is there running from Saul, and he has found himself... You know, you know how they used to do in the old days? They would put um, one, uh, one army on the hilltop here. There would be a big valley, and then the other army would be on this side. So it was the Philistines, just like it was with Goliath. The Philistines was on one side. The, the children of Israel were on this side. And Goliath went down in the middle and started taunting the armies. Right? So fast forward a few years. Israel's on one hilltop. The Philistines are on another hilltop. And David's on this side. He's with the Philistines. Achish is... The king of Gath, Goliath, was from Gath. He's found himself in a, in a quite particular, a quite peculiar position. Now, don't get me wrong. David has not killed any Israelite. He's never went to war with Israel, and he's been, he's been deceiving Achish. And every time he would go out to war, Achish would send David out, and David would go kill Philistines. But he would kill every single one of them so they couldn't bring the news back to Achish. That was part of David's plan. And it may have looked at like his forces were arrayed against Israel, but David, uh, up until this point, was never found himself facing toe-to-toe with Israel. This is the first time he got caught, so to speak. Right? He's been fighting alongside, but now Achish says, you're going to fight with me, and you're going to fight the Jews, your people. David's got a problem. He doesn't want to fight against his own people. You know, he fled Judah after or, or, or out of fear of Saul, and he came to Gath. But now he's found him, he's found himself fighting against his own people. You know, Achish truly liked David. Achish, Achish believed David. Achish is one of those Philistine kings there. He believed David. He thought he was a friend. And when he when he was faced up here, some of the other Philistines looked over at David and they heard about David. Not Achish, but some of the other Philistine centurions. I know that's, a, that's kind of early for that term there. Another other sergeants, if you will. They look at David like, oh, he's clearly not on our side. If we go fight them, he's going to turn on us and kill us in the battle. And Achish is like, no, he's for us. They were right. Achish was wrong. But with all of that, God put all that together to relieve David of fighting against his people. So Achish tells him to go home. Now, home for David at that time was a town called Ziklag. Everything he owned was there. His wives, his children, all his people, all his family, all his stuff, his homes, everything was there. Achish gave him that town, 
And so David leaves the fighting grounds to go back to Ziklag. And as he approaches Ziklag, it's burning. It's on fire. Everything is, everything is different. All has changed. Up until this time, David and his men hadn't lost one battle. They hadn't lost even a skirmish. But now he comes back to his home and it's, it's all different. The Bible says that the Amalekites had invaded the south. They'd smitten Ziklag, burned it with fire, taken the women captives and carried them away. Now think about that devastation in the heart of David. Think about those stressors that I talked about in the beginning here to bring this back kind of full circle this morning. All the things that he had that were positive, he has been running a great scheme, doing more really for Israel than Saul was doing for Israel, but doing it deceivingly. And now he's coming home and his, his whole entire place is coming. Imagine coming home to your house and it's not just your home is on fire, the whole village is on fire. Think about what went through his mind as he approached the flames of his hometown. Many times before, there were maybe children running through the street, maybe children laughing, women coming out to meet him, his wives greeting him as he returned. But none of that is there. It's all you, all, the only sound you hear is wood burning, smoke and flames. Imagine the relief of getting out of fighting against your own people only to return to your home that was burnt to the ground. Now, the text tells us here that he didn't lose anybody. He didn't lose, no souls were taken, no loss of life, but David didn't know that. So he returned and all of it's gone. His life was completely rearranged. And he surely thought the worst. What would you think? David just went from one extreme to the next. And while we certainly haven't experienced some of the things that David has, our lives are still filled with ups and downs. In the military, I like to call it, we, we kind of go from one 50-meter target to another. You get one down, up, up pops another one, or two or three. Just when we think we have some relief, life gets a vote and sometimes knocks us to our knees. We become completely and utterly broken sometimes. In verse 4, if you look at that again, verse Samuel 30, verse 4, Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. You ever been there? I don't think I've been there. No more power to weep. They were broken. But I want to point out that it's when we're in that place or when we're close to that place that we learn the most about who we are in the Lord. We learn about our frailness and truly, there is only one right choice when we're there. There's only one right choice, and that's to turn to the Lord. Notice verse 6 again. The Bible states that David was greatly distressed, but at the end of that same verse that he encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And this morning, I kind of put it this way. He was stirred in the Lord. He stirred himself in the Lord. Now, the word used for courage, of course, means to encourage, uh, but to make oneself courageous. 
and this can be done in a number of ways. Sometimes, you know, we get fired up for certain things, whatever. And sometimes we can just muster up some kind of motivation. What's the, what's the old saying? False motivation is better than no motivation. But real motivation is the best. And David stirred himself up in the Lord. You know, the most powerful and enduring way to get stirred up is in the Lord. It reminds me of Paul's words to Timothy many thousands of years later in his first letter to him, or his second letter to him. He said, God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And right before that, Paul says, speaking of that gift that he's about to tell him about, stir up that gift. Stir it up. And I think this is similar to what David is doing. And by the way, it took strength to do this. Maybe even more strength to do this than what it took for him to win all those battles before this one. To stir himself up in the Lord. You see, there is only one right choice, and that's to turn to the Lord. Many people don't, cho- don't choose to turn to the Lord. Many Christians don't choose to turn to the Lord. Look at David here. He has 600 men. What were those 600 men wanting to do to David? Were they turning to the Lord? No, they wanted to stone him. They wanted to stone him. Look at verse 6 again. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. They didn't turn to the Lord. They refused to encourage themselves in the Lord. They played the blame game. This is all your fault, David. Instead of taking responsibility, instead of coming together, let's fix this, let's do something. Instead of looking to God, they looked to David, but not as a leader, but to stone him. They didn't look to him for guidance. The same leader who led them to win every single battle up to this point, they want to stone him. It's funny how the heart turns so fast. It's clear that when they were following David, a little more than they were following God. They followed David more than God. And we too can make that same mistake. Yes, it's good to have role models. It truly is. You should be able to follow your your father or your mother or leaders in your community, even your pastor, but not at the cost of following the Lord. These folks were enraged by the situation. David was encouraged. And that's that's not a courage that you can rise up from. That's not something we can muster up on the inside. The stirring up was of the Lord and only of the Lord. I mean, look at what's happening. He thinks his whole family is gone and the 600 men want to kill him. This could have been the end of David. This kind of rising from the ashes, if you will, is divine in its origin. It comes through surrender. But notice the Bible doesn't say that God encouraged David, even though that's a given. It states that David encouraged himself in the Lord. This is something that David found within him, the Lord, how to rely on the Lord. You see, David made a choice a choice to trust God right then and there for everything. His whole life has changed. His family in his mind is probably dead or worse. And his best man, these 600 men, want to kill him. I would say against all odds, he trusted God. Against hope, he believed in hope. He took responsibility, and then he took that responsibility to the Lord. And this is something that we also can do. You know, this is kind of a basketball reference here. I thought of Brother Shannon while I was putting this together. But many times the ball is in our court. It's right around us. 
Well, we don't want anything to do with it. We even run from the ball sometimes. We even try to leave the court. But God says, pick up the ball. Pick up the ball and do something with it. Pick up the ball and watch me do great things through you. I think many times we're, we are, there was a time in my life, let me put it on, on, on myself, there was a time in my life when my spiritual life was like me sitting in a vehicle. The, the car is in gear, the engine is running, but my foot's on the brake. God just says, go. He's not really giving us direction yet, He just says, go. And in my mind, I think it's probably easier to steer a car when it's moving than it is when it's sitting still, even with our fancy power steering today. It's easier to turn a moving object than it is a sitting object. We are to pick up the ball and run with it. When things are going well and when they are not, when it's our fault or when it's not our fault, let's get stirred up in the Lord and move forward in the Lord. Now, if you remember when Moses told the, the people to stand still. You remember that as they, they're running from the Egyptians. There was a hard wall in each place. The Egyptians are behind them. The Red Sea is in front of them. And Moses tells the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And God responds like two verses down. He says, the Lord said unto Moses, the Bible says, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. There's times in our life where God just says, go. God just says, go. And we just have to go. We have to get stirred up in the fact that He is God and just go. But David didn't stop there in his upward journey, if you will, from the ashes. Look at verse 7. So David got stirred up. He, he was encouraged in the Lord. And then verse 7 says, David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David was stirred in the Lord, but he also sought the Lord. It's actually the next step. He encouraged himself in the Lord, and then he inquired of the Lord. And these two things must go hand in hand. It's one thing to get motivated and get excited about maybe the gospel message or about living for the Lord, but never leave our couch. Or never leave this room, spiritually speaking. We get excited here, but that excitement just stays here and it doesn't leave this building. David encouraged himself in the Lord and he inquired of the Lord. These things go hand in hand. I wonder if David chose to remember that God was still on the throne. You know, he would later wrote and uh, write in Psalm chapter 22, verse 27, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. David remembered the great things God had done for them. God, through him, delivered his, his flock from the lion, from the bear, Goliath, and, any, and many things before this. Is this the end of David? Maybe he thought that. Has God delivered me from all these things just to have me die right here on the battlefield by my own men? I don't think David came to that conclusion. He encouraged himself and sought the Lord. I think the more he thought about it, the easier it became for him to rise. The more he remembered how great God was, the quicker the encouragement came. His encouragement in the Lord compelled him to seek the Lord. His stirring called, caused him, compelled him to inquire of the Lord. And us today, if we can just ponder for a moment all of the great things God has done for us in our lives. I mean, just in this life, 
What has God done for you? I mean, look at the peace that we have here in this town. We don't have any threat of being killed when we go to the store. That's, that is something that's, uh, that God has allowed to happen in our lives. I get it that people have a vote, if you will. People make their own decisions. But God has given us a many great thing. The air to breathe and eternal life and all those things. If we can just stay stirred up about those things, that would be quite nice. But if not, can we at least, this is me speaking to me, can I at least stay stirred up about Calvary? I mean, think about what God did for us on Calvary. Think about the impact of the cross in your specific life, your eternal life. The cross. Remember the cross. If we can just stay stirred up in Jesus, stay amazed in His grace, I think it will continually compel us to seek Him. To seek Him. Remember the cross. It, to be honest, it's the thing that keeps me straight. When, when times get tough, I look back, and in my mind, I, I just kind of picture that road that Jesus walked on to go to that cross. I think of the, the whippings that the Roman soldiers did to Him. I think of Him hanging on that cross in my stead, in my place. And He was faithful to the end, and it still is. Can I get stirred up about that? Yes, I can. There is much to be thankful for even if the least of it is eternal life. I mean, what really could be more encouraging than the cross? So when we find ourselves in the muck and mire of this life, I think it's important that we find the strength to look up and in our weakness find His strength. When we remember the great things He has done for us, we must find the courage to ask Him to do it one more time. Remember Samson? I love the story of Samson. I remember he was probably my favorite Bible character in the Bible, the strong man. You know, you're like eight, nine years old. Like, look at the strength of this guy. Then you get old and you read a little bit more about him. You're like, <laughs> but he was blind and broken there in the temple of Dagon at the end of his life. And he looked to God and he says, Ah, oh, Lord, I know I'm guilty. I'm just paraphrasing. I know that I've messed up in my life. Lord, just one more time. Bless me one more time. And he bowed, the Bible says, with all his strength. And he did more in his death than he did in his life. Don't be afraid to ask bold things from God. Don't be afraid to seek after the Lord when you know you don't deserve to be heard. Don't be afraid. The Bible says that we are to come boldly before the throne of God. The position that David was in was because of him. They figured it out that he'd been playing the other side, if you will, and they other, uh, another branch of Philistines killed or, 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 burnt his family, or burnt his village there. They didn't kill anybody, but he didn't know that yet. They found that out, and it was his, kind of his fault, and he probably came to that conclusion, but it, it didn't keep him in the ground. He rose to the fact and says, Lord, forgive me, so to speak. He got stirred up in the Lord, and he sought the Lord. Lord, Lord what shall I do? God didn't have to answer him, but... God is mindful of man. Think again about what, was, what may have been going through David's mind as he approached that burning village. And again, what would be going through your mind? A wicked and uncivilized enemy had taken all that is near and dear to you, and I think every one of us would probably think the worst right away. And while David was greatly distressed, understandably so, he didn't stay there. 
he got stirred up and he sought the Lord. Lesser men, lesser believers would sit and sulk in self-pity. But David sought the Lord. Lesser things have happened to us and we sit and sulk in self-pity. We are not to sulk. We are to seek him. We're not to be just in our self-pity when life gets overwhelming to us. Oh, I got a speeding ticket. It's my fault. I got a speeding ticket and it's lots of money. Whatever. Whatever it may be that we've caused on ourselves or even the things that we didn't bring upon ourselves. We're not to say, whoa, it's me. It's their fault. It's his fault. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. You know, some Christians, people who know the King of Kings are still broken over something that was a lifetime ago. Can't get over it because we've not given it to the Lord. But like David, there must come a time when we look up. We just forget the past. You can't change it anyway. Forget the past and look to the Lord. Encourage yourself in the Lord and inquire of the Lord. Seek the Lord. If I can say it this way, let's, let's get stirred up for the things of God. Let's get fired up, if you will, and seek the Lord with all our heart, mind, and soul. I mean, think about it. If I, could, if I could just get that one message across to just a handful of people to get fired up for the things of the Lord, to seek the Lord, we would change this entire community. There was a, a famous revivalist uh, in the 1800s, I think it was, R.A. Torrey is his name, and he, he gave a couple ingredients to a revival. I don't remember all of those, but he, he said this in the beginning. He goes, if I can just get a handful of people, three or four, it need not be many, thoroughly right with God and get on fire for God, that community will have a revival. That's pretty simple. Can we just get a handful of people this morning to get fired up for the truths of the Scripture, for, for the cross, for Calvary, for eternal life, for the blood that was shed for you and I? Let's get fired up and let's seek the Lord. Let's get stirred up for the things of God and seek the Lord with all of our being, all of our heart, mind, and soul. But in our stirring and in our seeking, it cannot stop there. Like David, we must come full circle. In other words, if we surrender enough of ourselves to stand against all odds, when no one else can stand, if we can find strength, enough strength, to call on the Lord in those areas, then we can also draw on that same strength to submit to the Lord. Look at verse 9. So David went... And he and the 600 men that were with him and came to the brook Besor were those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 men abode behind. So David went. David pursued. David obeyed. David submitted to the Lord. Notice the progression of David. Look at verse 6 again. David was distressed. At the end of verse 6, David was encouraged. Verse 8, David inquired. Verse 9, David went. Verse 10, David pursued. He went from despair to encouragement to inquiring and obeying, all in a matter of moments. From brokenness to boldness, fast enough to prevent 600 men from stoning him. 600 men of war. And then leading those same men into combat to recover his goods. Talk about leadership. Talk about a man who just, you know, I'm going to forget the situation. I'm going to turn to God and just give it all to him, trusting the Lord. And putting this into context, we see that David asked the Lord if he should pursue after that group of people that took away his family. 
and God gave David direction, and David obeyed. Now, it might seem like a given that we see in the, in, in the outline here this morning that David stirred in the Lord, he was encouraged in the Lord. Number two, he inquired of the Lord. And then number three, he obeyed or he submitted to the Lord. And, and in the context, as we read that, well, no kidding. God gave him direction and he obeyed. But wouldn't it be great if that obedience was just a given in our lives? It's just not. Nor is it in David's life. He didn't have to obey. There was a lot of motivation for him to obey because all that he loved that was near and dear to him would be brought back to him. God even told him that. But there is a greater motivation to obey, and that's because God is God. That should be our motivation. God gave David direction, and David obeyed. We think sometimes that God gives us some direction. Maybe it's right from the text. We read it in the Scriptures. We're studying, and God gives us some insight, if you will. The Holy Spirit's leading us along, and He gives us some guidance. Or maybe we come to church, and you hear the preacher preach, and you walk away thinking, you know what? I need to do this in my life. I need to fix this area in my life. I need to give more of myself to God in this area. Or maybe it's even more than that. God's calling us to full-time ministry. He wants you to forsake your homeland and go to a foreign land just to tell people about Jesus Christ, the call into missions. Whatever it may be, sometimes those leadings may seem outlandish, unbelievable. I mean, he told David, they took your people, but none of them are dead. I mean, David believed. But, I mean, what if that happened today? The same scenario, and then me or somebody else came to you and said, you know, there's a good chance that none of them are dead. Knowing what's going on in the world today, do we, would we believe that? I don't think any of us would believe that. But David did. He followed and he believed. And sometimes God gives us some things, some guidance that seem unbelievable. You want me to do what? David could have said, Lord, you really think all those families are still alive? All of them? Even the children? You really think that if they are, they, they won't just kill them as we come across the hill and they see us? They won't kill them then? And Lord, I don't even know where they are. How will I find them? What if it's too late by the time they get there? What if I believe you now that they're alive, but by the time I get there, they're dead? Anyway, why go and pursue them? David could have asked all kinds of questions, but he didn't. He just rose up from the weeping, told the men to drop the stones that they may have been holding, and said, let's go get them. God says they're still here. Let's go get them. I mean, what do you say to a crowd who speaks of killing you? How do you get that crowd to follow you? The last time they followed David, the very last time they followed David, their family was taken away. I think personally that David may have offered him his own life. This is not in the Bible. This is just me speaking. But how do you, how do you turn 600 men? In my mind, this is what I would do. Let's go get them. If they're not there, you can kill me. You can take my life then. But let me lead you to go get them. And then if it don't work, I will yield to your stoning. I think David offered his life. If we don't recover our families, you can stone me. Follow me as I follow the Lord. Follow me as I follow the Lord. The truth, this truth, I believe, brings in the element of faith in David's obedience. This could have very well, again, been the end of David. 
there would have been no second Samuel. First Samuel would have stopped at chapter 3 or at the end of this, end of this book. There would have been no king, no united Israel. David is a lineage of Jesus Christ. No David. But that's not what God had in mind. And of course, like us, there was no way for David to see these things. He just trusted God. His faith was in God. There takes a measure of faith to be submitted to the Lord, to be obedient. Many times today, I think my lack of obedience is truly a lack of faith. My lack of obedience is really a lack of a faith. If we as God's children can encourage ourselves in the Lord, if we can inquire of the Lord, I think we can obey the Lord. For why would we ask guidance if we do not intend to follow it? Truthfully, I don't think David knew how much God was in control. I don't think we realize how much God is in control. Because after David recovered all those belongings, every soul was saved. He recovered all those from the Amalekites. He returned to Ziklag just three short days Three short days later, he would learn that that battle they were in, that he got out of, that's the battle that King Saul was killed in. Jonathan gave his life as well. David's best friend died in that battle. And because of all that, David was shortly made king. From losing it all to being king of Judah in a matter of days. From losing it all to be a king. I want to point out something this morning, some similarities in this truth. If you are in the Lord this morning, if you believe and have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's been a moment in your time when you've turned from your wicked ways and yourself and you've trusted Christ with your life. You've given Him your all. You've received Him as that payment for your sins. You have also went from losing it all to being a king. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 states that Jesus has washed us from our sins in His own blood and hath made us kings. 1 Peter 2, 9 states that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Friends, if you don't know the Lord this morning, if you are not in the Lord, so to speak, if you have never purposely accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are not a king. You are without hope. You are destined, and I know we don't preach like this anymore, but you are destined to a place called hell, created for the devil and his angels, not even for you. You were created to live forever, but we must accept Christ as our Savior. You are without hope without Him. But if you have Him, if you again belong to Jesus Christ and you know you have a home in heaven, a home, a mansion, if you will, awaiting us, don't let the stressors of this world get the best of you. Don't let them get the best of you. You are a king unto God. And Jesus Christ is your king of kings. How else would he be king of kings if we were not kings? And when the going gets tough, we are to get stirred up for the battle. You are a king in the most royal family ever. Get stirred up and seek the king, for he is never far away. Seek the Lord. And regardless of what comes our way, regardless of what God asks of us, regardless of what's going on in the world or even in our own sphere of influences, if we can find strength to be encouraged, if we can find strength to inquire of the Lord, he will also give us strength to pursue whatever 
endeavor he brings us to because we are more than conquerors. We are kings. We do not live from battle to battle. We do not live from stressor to stressor. We do not live from pressure to pressure or from failure to failure. As kings and conquerors in Jesus Christ, we live from victory to victory to victory and to victory. We serve God, the only God, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Lord are you in the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.